Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, my guest is Brian Robertson, who is the founder of the Holacracy Movement, which is an organizational development model that is catching on in the real world and is based on integral theory. So interesting, right? Here's my conversation with Brian Robertson. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good. Good to see you again. It's been a while. You too. Yeah, it's been a... I was just thinking, I think we got hooked up in 2006, maybe? Oh, Something yeah. Like so I mean, it was, 12, it, 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So, yeah. So much changed since then. Back, back in the kind of beginning days of the whole integral, like, thing that's happening exactly it was that was the heyday of the integral institute yeah and uh ken wilbur and hui lam and me and some people ran this group of volunteers basically that were working halftime 35 40 of them and we were down at the church at balsam and broadway and um and as i remember it you contacted us because you were an integral fan and a fan of ken's work Right? And yeah. you had this integral application that you thought was, you know, the real thing. And we got all excited. Yeah. And, right? Yeah. So I far, so good, one right? Of the, one of the uh, weekend workshops you did at the time, too, and connected uh, with a bunch of you guys at that. And That's then right. Followed up uh, with some calls, went out and visited you all in Boulder. Yeah, we came out to see you, a bunch of yeah. us in Philadelphia, and your company, which was Ternary, is a Ternary, yeah, I remember. Ternary, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and software yeah. development company. And you, this was your uh, sort of laboratory. Yeah. Where you were working out the details of this system. Yeah. And, um, and then you came and helped us implement it at the Integral Institute. Which we did, you know, badly. <laughs> but even, is even doing it badly, there was there were some elements of magic, and I want to share them actually as we talk. Cool. That is as good as anything I've gotten from anything. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, you went off and ran with it, and started Holacracy One, mm-hmm. and wrote your book. Uh, Holacracy, a new management system for a rapidly changing world, which I'm going to share. Hang on here. So there it is. Holacracy, the new management system for a rapidly changing world. And Holacracy has become a thing. Yeah, it really has. I see it in the Wall Street Journal, in The Economist. I see it, you know, all over the place. And as you write here, and I'll just read it. This is in your uh, uh, website. Over a thousand companies use Holacracy today. So this is an integral application that actually worked and has traction. You say in healthcare, insurance, banking, retail, technology, nonprofit, and government sectors, and in places as diverse as Dubai, Shanghai, Amsterdam, London, Berlin, New York, Bangalore, Las Vegas, and rural Africa. Yep. Yeah. So (laughs) fabulous. And God bless you. And congratulations. And so good to reconnect here. And, And where I'd like to start is to just... You know, where are you at and what are you seeing? And, you know, we're all integral nuts here on this podcast. So feel free to go full integral. Mm-hmm. And and you're, you know, at the cutting edge of the evolution of the organization. Yeah. Right? It, well, uh, so I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's easy from this side to just all 
to, to see all the things that I want to do from here, you know, all the, the things that are next. It's right. One of the things I love most about Holacracy is it's such an evolutionary system itself. That not only does it help companies become more evolutionary organisms, but the system itself, uh, it's, we version control it. We run it just like open source software. So, you know, if you saw it today, it, it looks only a tiny bit like what you first experienced 12 years ago. Right. It's, it's changed so much. It's uh, it, the, the code of it keeps evolving and changing. And, and that's now driven by a whole community of people in companies doing this every day, feeding back in the edge cases, the, you know, all the, the little places where some tweak to the rules is useful. And, right. So the whole system keeps changing and evolving. So I, I feel like it's actually the beginning of the journey. Wow. <laughs> Feels yeah. like there's more territory ahead than there is territory we've just covered from modern norm to Holacracy yeah. today. Yeah. Well, I think there is. Yeah. So um, just to orient our listeners, give us, you know, where, what, what does, what, how would you describe Holacracy in a paragraph or two? And, oh. you know, where does it fit? And, you know, what, is, what are its fruits? Yeah. So it's a framework for self-management is one way you can think of it, right? It's, uh, I'm sure some of your listeners have probably heard of the whole self-management movement that has been booming and Holacracy is kind of at the forefront of that. Um, what Holacracy gives you is a framework. So if you want to move from kind of the modern norm of organizational structure to something that is self-organizing, evolutionary, adaptive, you can try to figure out how to do that on your own but it's insanely difficult. It takes a lot of time, a lot of experimentation. I know because that's what I did. Right. Uh, yeah. Holacracy kind of gives you a packaged framework. It says, you know, it doesn't tell you exactly how to structure or run anything, but it gives you a, a framework to make the experimentation faster and easier to allow more perspectives to get integrated during the experimentation. So it's less dependent on the irony of a CEO saying, I want to move to a self-organizing power structure and then directing the entire ship themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. what it, it does. It's what it brings in. Yeah, and and if we think about what where organizations are, just in terms of looking at cultural development, yeah. um, it seems that what people are after is some kind of an organization where everybody feels like they're seen and heard and they're powerful, and that has to actually be true for it to really work. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and we also, organizations also, I think these days, realize that there is power in every, in, in multiple perspectives, being organized in a way so that it's not just chaos. And that's one of the things I loved about Holacracy, even in the sort of incubator that you were at when we were together, uh, that there was these interlocking circles. And, um, and let me just, j- just to sort of transmit some of the magic of it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I really remember, Brian, is, and I'm going to kind of mangle this, and, and you could correct me when I'm done, but uh, as I recall, there, was, there were these circle meetings where we would have eight or ten people, and there were a couple rules. One was the only thing we could discuss was a stressor in the system and how to alleviate it. So there was no storytelling about how you did it in your last job. There was no looking good. There was no theorizing, no opinions, actually. Hmm. And, and, and I don't exactly remember how that worked. But 
we we worked that we did that enough times that we had a liftoff um i would say two or three times that was palpable for all, all of us where we entered a new interpersonal realm it was actually a group enlightenment a group state experience where we were all bigger and smarter and wiser and and we were all being seen and boy is that a delicious thing to be in a team of people where everybody's seen you know yeah. i was just talking about the the war movie and you know the camaraderie is is the thing that really the guys are after you know yeah and, and i love that about this it's um it's it, it is magic it's it's hard to describe I and mean, you can read about it but it's not the same as experiencing the practice of it right you know, visceral felt experience when you do it well and, and it can take practice and learning to get there but and it does it shifts you to kind of a different field of organization where it's not about the personal egos and the right. agenda Right. All that crap anymore. Yeah. It's about serving a purpose and yeah. coming together. It's not even about all having a voice. It, I, I like how you said being powerful together earlier. It's um, one of the things that I learned early in my own experimentation is that it was very easy to get stuck in what I call the tyranny of consensus, right? Where everyone has a voice, but oh. nobody is powerful. <laughs> right. Right. You, oh, you yeah. You heard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, but, that, and that's sort of the sort of. I don't want to say pathological, but that's the dysfunctional aspect of just the green consensus movement. Yeah. And we can see that the green consensus movement actually was progress over the previous modern command and control system and the one before that, which was, you know, slavery. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the wisdom in it is, it's the recognition that different perspectives have different wisdom in them, right? And it's easy to fall down that slippery slope from knowing that different perspectives hold different wisdom to assuming that means you have to get everybody happy with everything all the time, right? which, you know, would be fine if everybody, you know, could keep their egos magically in check, but that's not the reality of human experience. So then that becomes a, a, a ground where it's not really just about the purpose you're serving and what you're stewarding. It, it becomes very quickly about everybody feeling a certain way, yeah. which actually gets in the way of us being powerful together for a purpose. And yeah. I think part of the magic of holacracy is, is how it integrates. It differentiates the organization and its purpose from the individuals, the, the, the humans, the, the people within. And it allows space for both. You can be fully human. Right, but you can't get in the way of somebody else driving change to the organization. Right, right. and it kind of integrates that, so we can all not just have a voice together, but be yeah. powerful. Yeah. Uh, do you still do that circle kind of meeting? Is that still part of it? Yeah. There's actually two different meeting processes in Holacracy now. One's a, called a governance meeting, which is the parallel to the one that you're you're talking about. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got similar rules. I mean, they've evolved a lot since then. They're right. a little codified. Uh, but, you know, basically, as I recall, it, it, you know, what I sort of put it in some uh, frame now, it was a group meditation in a certain way. And the, the meditation was the, the, you know, the movement, growth, uh, evolution of the organization. And yeah. it, in a way, what made it a meditation was that it's so hard in a way. It's like sitting in meditation and not being identified with your thoughts. That's hard. They keep sneaking back in. And yep. so does the ego. So does the opinion. So does the personality wants to sneak back in. But 
in this meeting, we were vigilant about that. And so what was left then after we, you know, pushed away all of the identification stuff was the problem itself and all of us being supportive to the, to the, of the person who has a solution, unless there's something that is causing going to cause a stress for you. I forget all of the details of it, but uh, wow. Yeah. It, I, it was some of the best intersubjective group liftoff that I've had in any practice anywhere. And I've done many. That's really cool. I, I feel the same constantly. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's still, I mean, it, it's it's not like I get to be exempt from my own issues and, and getting stuck in, in other places. So it's a practice for me as much as, as anyone else. And I, I still feel this like just delight and awe uh, about it. But uh, Jeff, what I hear you talking about is uh, what I call the, the so holacracy is tension driven so that the whole focus is find a real tension sensed by one person and focus on solving that tension. The goal of Holacracy is any tension sensed by anyone anywhere in the company has somewhere to go where it can get rapidly and reliably processed into organizational evolution. So by grounding in that sense of tension, which is, is, is really different, a lot of companies nowadays, they drive things from mind. They drive things from their, their ideas about how we should organize, right? Which gets stuck in old patterns. It gets stuck in, in projection and story and ideas and one of the things Holacracy ruthlessly does is bring us back to experience and say, what is it you're actually sensing is in the way of your work right now? What could better express... Your work basically is your object of meditation. It is. It is. That's exactly it. And that comes down to the purpose you're serving. Every role in the system has a purpose, right? So what is the purpose you're serving? Look at the actual expression of that purpose. And where do you feel a constraint? So it's putting you back to the experience. And then it's saying, let's design the minimally sufficient solution to solve that one constraint without causing another constraint for someone else somewhere right. other elsewhere. Well, you're bringing it back. Yeah. And then we can bring it up next week. Yeah, exactly. And we can, whatever. Yes. Uh, it doesn't have to be the perfect this solution. Is not, well, that was the other thing is that we weren't looking for the perfect solution. Right. Thank yeah. you. What a fucking relief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From yeah. the rest of my life. <laughs> Where I'm just looking to to uh, reduce the stress or the tension, yep. and, and, and and take it from there. And so this is one of the things I, I find magical about it too. It, it's the principles you see in holacracy are the same principles that you, you want to use if you're trying to authentically, deeply relate with people. So, for example, this whole idea of solving one tension at a time, and it, in meetings in holacracy, it's it's really you take turns. Whose turn is it to solve one of their tensions? And the entire group becomes focusing on that person in service. How do we help you solve your attention? And compare that to how we work in intimate relationships, right? Like I've long since learned when I have a partner and she comes to me and says, hey, I've got attention with something in the relationship. The worst thing I can do is say, oh yeah, well, let me add my attention to this. (laughs) It works much better if I shift into really getting her world. Let me really understand what is this in her world what does she need? What are her needs underneath that? What can I change to? And then when that process is done and she feels resolved, then I can say, can I bring up my own tension? And I'd like your help processing this, right? right? That works better in human relationships. We know this. But then we go into companies where our meetings become a codependent nightmare of everyone Gosh, wrestling I to get their tension. 
<laughs> yeah, right. So I, I actually had one person come up to me uh, in Zappos after she had done Holacracy like six months there. And she said, um, you know, after six months of Holacracy practice, I finally got what my therapist has been trying to get me to understand for years in my intimate relationship, right? I got this thing about the difference between codependent and honoring my autonomy while maintaining interconnection. I got, uh, she went on from there, but it was, it was really cool. I, I keep hearing these stories of people having these transformational per personal growth experiences mm -hmm. from what they're learning in a business meeting, which is yeah. really cool. No, isn't that something? Yeah. So are people getting this? I mean, is it growing? Is there traction? What, or what's new? What's next? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a struggle to keep up with it. Honestly. I mean, I'm kind of surprised the first, you know, the first five, six years of this, it was so slow. I mean, we just, we were out there sharing, uh, but it was, it took us six years to get to, you know, three companies doing this. And, and then it took another three years to get to, you know, 10 companies doing it. And then the past few years happened and it's just exponential explosive growth. Right. And, and it's, we're just trying to figure out how, how can we keep, we've got, We've got 20 people in my company. We've got a network of licensees, 50 some other coaches around the world. And uh, we're all just trying to figure out how can we best support companies making this shift. Um, right. I'm fascinated to see it finds, I, I thought it would be a complete total niche and, and maybe it, it will be, but it, right. not all of the niches I thought. <laughs> are you finding some commonalities in your clients or the people yes. who are attracted to this? Yeah, totally. Interesting. Uh, it's not at all about the industry or type of company. So we have government, uh, nonprofit, for-profit, small, big, um, retail, uh, you know, high-tech, low-tech, everything in between. The common thread seems to be the person bringing it in. Usually the leader, often the CEO, but in bigger companies, sometimes it's a department head, uh, some leader bringing this in. And it's the, the developmental capacity that that person has and their kind of worldview, right? You can mm -hmm. see consistently yeah. people bringing this in. Yeah. I mean, almost yeah. exclusively have a yeah. remarkable I mean, capacity. There, there is a, a, a way in which integral consciousness, you know, what you were talking about a minute ago, being both an individual and part of a collective, both at the same time, you know, that that's an integral thing where we want yeah. To, to, to really have a container that uh, includes what used to be paradoxical, still is maybe, but used to be at war, yep. and we used to be one or the other, and now we could be fully both, not just a homogenization, but fully both. And, and that, that appeals, you start talking like that, there's a certain person yeah. whose chimes start ringing. Absolutely, it does. And the experience of that, even when it's challenging somebody's preference and integrating a polarity they haven't integrated yet, People with the capacity to value that see it, right? Yeah. They, they feel this is bringing in something that I know I'm rejecting right now. And it's, but it's not rejecting what I know is true, right? It's, this is something I often say about holacracy. The challenge of it for people is whatever it is you most value, you're probably going to find more of it in holacracy than you thought possible, but it comes at a price. And the price is you must be equally prepared to embrace its opposite. Right. And that's what it so keeps give me doing. an example of that. Like, how yeah. So let's say you value flexibility. You value, you know, anything can change and being in this dynamic flex flow adapting, you know, holacracy brings in more of that into an organization than you may have even thought possible. 
but it comes at a price. You must be equally prepared to embrace the most rigid, structured framework that you're likely to find. So, uh, and that brings stability. So it, it has this both end of this rock solid core of stability. There is a constitutional power structure, yeah. right? Not subject to the winds of whatever leader is, right. is in power. It's a really solid, uh, stable yeah. power structure. Yeah, with once again, a, par a paradox, a polarity between the rock solid and the and you know, hanging loose and, and flexible and- yeah. yeah. Both, um, you know, or uh, it also integrates things like some people tend to naturally prefer making fast, rapid, workable decisions to get an achievable result now and trust we can control for things later by adapting. And other people tend to prefer integrating lots of perspectives and wisdom to get the absolute best result possible, right? And those two are often at odds in most companies and people that tend to tune into those different perspectives are often in competition in those companies in some way. And Holacracy integrates them. It says, we're going to make fast, rapid, workable decisions, but we're going to change them anytime because we're going to be constantly integrating new perspectives and improving those decisions, right? But we're not going to let either of those dominate the other. We're going to completely right. integrate it. And the process does that. Right. Uh, well, well, again, to help us understand where Holacracy is now, um, tell us a little bit about that rock solid core. Yeah. So uh, at its heart, there's a, a power structure. It's, it's a way of distributing power through an organization, right? Right now, we're used to power resting on a CEO or equivalent at the top of the hierarchy, and then it's delegated down a, a command hierarchy of managers. So people that have the authority to direct the work of other people, command hierarchy. What Holacracy does is shift that. It says uh, when, when a CEO adopts this, they actually sign a constitution. They cede their authority to run the company however they want. They remove the authority from the management hierarchy, and they put it into a constitutional governance process. So there's a constitution. It's an open source document. It's defined. It's, it's, uh, it's the same one for all the thousand companies doing Holacracy. They're all using the same so constitution. So the CEO literally says, I'm no literally. longer in charge. Uh, yeah. So the interesting thing, one of the common misconceptions people have is that somehow this is stripping power away from the CEO. What it's really doing is raising power of everyone else in the system. So the CEO at the end of the day, I mean, I still feel powerful. I still feel like I feel like I have more control in this system than I did in a management hierarchy as the CEO. The difference is so does everyone else. Right. It's not that I have less. I have lots of ways to influence, to to get my wisdom integrated. In fact, it's easier than it was as a CEO but so does everyone else. So I'm not in it alone. And instead of managers holding power and having to convince the manager, if you want to change something. So there's a no, no more managers, no more managers. This is a, uh, it's uh, yeah. Now, okay, let me, now I'm remembering the part that was, that scared me. Yeah, it is scary. Right. <laughs> at first. Uh, so uh, I like those meetings though. I like those circle meetings. I don't, the other part escaped me. Yeah. There's two common misconceptions uh, that people get when I say no managers uh, and they picture a system without managers. They often think of what they know today of organization and just subtract managers. But the key is really not what Holacracy subtracts. It's what it, it replaces it with. So one of the misconceptions is when you have no managers, all decisions must be made you know, by consensus and groups. And that sounds horrible. Uh, it sounds horrible to me anyway, but um, that's not true. With Holacracy, there is more autocratic decision-making compared to a management hierarchy. Ironically, it's management hierarchy that seems to use more consensus, right? It's, it's you have less clarity of who makes which decisions, so people default to bringing everything to a big meeting and getting everyone bought in. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 
been there. Yeah. So, so instead, so more autoc. Oh, I love that in a way. I, I love because you know, as an integralist, I want to be pulling the magic back from the earlier stages. And there's yep. absolutely a place for autocracy. Yes, but it yes, can't be. You know, it can't just be the only thing. Yes, absolutely. Right. So it's and it's decentralized autocracy now. It's distributed which is just like we're used to in a modern society, right? I have autocratic leadership over my house, my car, my computer, right? right? And my neighbor has the same over his house, right? And we know where the boundaries are, so we don't need to go to the local baron to sort things out, you know? Um, we've learned as a human society that decentralized, distributed clarity of boundary works, and that lets yeah. us actually integrate into a neighborhood much more effectively. Than yeah, but then within that boundary, you're free to be... You, you, you're, you're the king or queen of your castle. Yes, you are. And that's what holacracy brings in. So that's misconception one. The second one is when you have no managers, you must throw out and not have structure. And the reality is holacracy is more structured than a management hierarchy, not less. You end up with more structure. You just get there differently. Instead of asking managers to break down and define structure, you have an emergent process, a governance process. Everyone on a team is invited to contribute to the governance of that team. And that governance process defines clear structure. It defines who makes which decisions, within what limits, what responsibilities go with that authority, right? All that gets defined clearly so that we can go lead in our little territory. And we know the boundaries of it. And we know the responsibilities that come with the authority. So you end up with far more structure. It's just a much more flexible structure. It's an agile structure. It can change in the next governance meeting. And this is the thing about no managers. When I started on this journey, I never set out to remove managers. That was never the goal. What I discovered is when you have the right emergent process, it does the work we look for managers to do, and it does it better than managers tend to do it. So they simply become obsolete or redundant. You don't need command hierarchy in, in a person like that, if you have a process that gets you really good decentralized clarity. and you So how about the hierarchy of how people are paid, uh, yeah. you know, valuing higher level people or fruit, more fruitful people or more productive people? I mean, how, do, how does yeah. that all work? It's funny. It's the, the single most common question I get about holacracy is <laughs> you know, how do people get paid? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. and the irony is holacracy does not give you an answer to that. Uh, very intentionally. Um, think of it as a meta framework. Uh, in the same way, actually, the thing that I can compare it most to is management hierarchy, because that's also a meta framework. Management hierarchy doesn't tell you how you get paid. Uh, you'll see lots of companies running with management hierarchy that have a different pay system and a different process for defining that. What Holacracy does is give you a different framework within which you can address all of your other processes. So the real question is, have you ever felt any tension with your company's compensation system or firing or hiring or budgeting or any other process? And if so, do you have somewhere to go where you trust you can rapidly and reliably resolve that tension into meaningful organizational evolution? Right? What Holacracy is trying to do is not give you the one right way to pay people or fire people or budget or anything like that. What it's trying to do is give you the meta framework that makes all those other processes flexible so they can learn and evolve. Right. So it okay. doesn't give you one right way to pay people. There are yeah. companies doing holacracy that pay people in vastly different ways. The ones that work best, I think, still do honor a skill hierarchy, right? They recognize there are people that bring more wisdom, more experience, more skill, or more in-demand skills, more 
rare skills or whatever, and they pay them accordingly, right? You can still do that. You just have to get more creative. If you don't have a boss to decide the pay, how are you going to do that? Yeah. Right? There's many possible well, answers. How, how might one do that? And, yeah. um, and, and a bigger question, Brian, is what's some of the blowback you've gotten here? Um, yeah. Because I've read about it, and you know there are people who leave, there are people who, who can't live in this new environment. And, you know, it, I'd have to think pay would be part of that, or just you know, what's some of the the, the shadow side of this that is yeah. kind of inevitable, I suppose. It is a massive change. Uh, it, it's by far the single hardest change initiative I've ever been involved with in my career, um, and I've seen lots of different organizational changes and frameworks and systems. This is deeper than all of them. You're not just, so many other organizational interventions are built on top of management hierarchy, right? You can bring in agile software or you can bring in the latest culture work or whatever you want, leadership development. They're all building on top of a framework of power still rests in a CEO broken down a hierarchy of managers. Holacracy is the only intervention I've seen, a complete system that replaces that. So that makes it a deeper level change than everything else you'll see. Right? And that means it's also hard. It is a deep cultural change. Uh, it's a behavior change. It's a habit change that it requires. Mm-hmm. It's a five-year journey minimum. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get some ROI much, much sooner. You do. Um, but the actual depth of this change is massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, calling people to lead in a completely new way. And that's hard. Uh, And if you're not really committed to that change, to learning that, it's so easy to backslide, right? And so, I mean, the biggest shadow I see, it's not once people get to this new paradigm. What I hear from people that have made the transition consistently is I would never go back. This is all around better. Really? Yeah. So better results, more profitable, more, I am leading in their brand. I mean, not that there aren't challenges, there are. Not that some things might not be a little harder. Sure, some things are a little harder. Sometimes it's much easier to say, you know what, I'm just going to be the autocratic boss. But holacracy even transcends and includes that. It would be perfectly valid holacracy practice to say, we're going to use the governance framework to create a role. We'll call it boss and create another role. We'll call it subordinate. Let's give the boss role the authority to tell the subordinate what to do and the subordinate the responsibility to do whatever the boss says. Right. right? Actually, perfectly valid holacracy practice. Yes. I re- right? Actually, let me pause for a second. I remember that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, totally. you know, you could decide as a group to create all kinds of little containers that are Absolutely. specialized for their purpose. Yeah. And, and we have that. What you just said, you know. Yeah. And we have that. We have in my company, for example, cases where there's some role that has the autocratic authority to make certain decisions and tell another role what to do. It's in a defined scope. Because frankly, if you started with that just simple boss subordinate, it wouldn't be that long until you learned there are some things you don't want the subordinate going to the boss for. You just want them to use their judgment and you'd start defining that. So holacracy completely transcends and includes management hierarchy. There's not really anything once you get there that you can't do at least as effectively in holacracy as you can with management hierarchy. But getting there is a huge, massive challenge. And that's where the shadow is and that's where people fail. And uh, that's, that's the hard part. What's your success rate, would you say? Um, it, it's highly linked to how much support the organization gets. So when a company does a complete do-it-yourself, they don't go to any training, they don't get any coaching, they just, you know, they read the book, they watch some free videos online and they try it. I'd say the failure rate is high 90s, uh, 90%. Um, 
I have seen cases where that succeeds and I'm shocked. Um, but there are, there are cases where that succeeds, you know, maybe, I don't know, 95% fail rate with that uh, anecdotally. Um, when, when they at least send somebody to a training, they at least get somebody in house who has some, has gone and experienced it. They've gone somewhere where they can really in a, in, in, in a bubble have experienced what this is really supposed to be and feel like. I'd say the success rate uh, goes way up. I mean, at that with just training, no coaching, but at least somebody trained, I don't know, you might see a 60, 70% failure rate. Mm -hmm. And then when people start adding in coaching, it drops a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, when people actually get a good coach to walk them through this journey, you know, that's when we see more like two out of three succeeding, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little more. Yeah. Well, uh, of, of course, your, your sort of mar marquee client is Zappos. And, you know, that's what I've read about the most, at least. How's mm -hmm. that going? Yeah. So uh, one of the really cool things I can tell you is I, I honestly have no idea. Really? <laughs> well, but I love that, right? It's, it's, I can tell you in the very beginning when I was there, it was going really well. And I stayed in touch with them for a little while. We, we kind of were involved in their pilot group. Uh, and then they took over and they're on their own learning journey. And uh, I haven't been like in there to see hands on what's going on in years. Right. Uh, what I hear is kind of what I would expect. They have some teams that are doing great and they're rocking it and it feels great. They have others that are at the very beginning of the journey. They're a big company. They're struggling, you know. Right. Um, and they have some things that they're rocking and learning overall across the company and other things that are hard. And right. They're only, you know, a handful of It's a big deal, ahead. isn't it, Brian? It, it, it's, it's like a meditation path or a spiritual it path. Is. I mean, you're, you're really working hard conditioned behaviors are being challenged ruthlessly. It's yeah. not easy. Now, what I can tell you is what you read in the press is not matching the reality. Um, really? Yeah, the press has been uh, following sensationalized headlines without any serious due diligence in most cases. No. <laughs> yeah, imagine Brian. that. Right? We, we actually had one of the reporters uh, who wrote a scathingly negative article about holacracy. Uh, it was, holacracy is not human uh, because people aren't designed like robots, was like the subtitle. She wrote this scathing article. We reached out and we invited her to come to a, a five-day holacracy training. And she did. She came up to me after that training and said, oh my God, I was so wrong. <laughs> right? uh, and then she wrote another article that was much more positive, but that one didn't get anywhere near the spread as the sensationalized negative one that wasn't based in any kind of... No, you know, that's... Um, um, it's one of the things we got to work out in, in the culture because yeah. our new media really does reward, uh, you know, outrage. It really is. It's sad. It's. I mean, you look at something like one of the early reports that started the negative trend, which was fun to watch. It was first all positive until somebody reported something negative, and then everyone jumps on it and starts spinning up that side of the story. Right? Yeah. One of the first ones was the big exodus where a lot of people left, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's where um, twenty eight percent of their staff, you know, left or something like that. And what you don't see in the reports, <laughs> the reporting is Zappos. So they're a call center. The average turnover of a call center in the U.S., annual turnover is actually 70-some percent of people leave every year in a typical call center. And Zappos offered an average of six months of pay for people to just opt out for any reason. They didn't need to give a reason. Anyone who said, I just want to move on, gets an average of six months of pay. Right. So the actual headline there, I think you wanted more uh, uh, 
yeah, just uh, authentic reporting is something like a call center in the U.S. offers six months of pay and 72% of the staff turn down the offer. Right. That is amazing, right? Yeah. And yeah. yet it's reported exactly the opposite. Mass yeah. exodus, right? Well, I would actually expect 28% of the people to leave. Uh, if, this, if there's a successful implementation of this. It's not for everybody. That's yeah, true. Yeah, no, we really. don't see turnover that high, but we do. We do see turnover. And in fact, if you don't, uh, either you're doing something really good in your hiring or really bad in your holacracy adoption. Right. <laughs> right. So um, any other pieces you think we ought to consider here, Brian? Oh, um, man. I'd be, I'd be interested to, th- to hear what you have to say about any applications in government, politics, policy, um, you know, cool. fix well, that for us. Yeah, please. right. <laughs> fix that. Go. Good luck. Yeah. I, I might need some help with that one. Uh, if anyone you know, <laughs> listening wants to help with the change the world stuff, please connect with us. <laughs> uh, that's actually our mission, ultimately. Um, I, I capture my own personal purpose in life as I show people a radical new way to organize power. And my company's purpose, we capture as evolve humanity's relationship to power. And wow. really, the, the, the long game here for us, it's not about just changing the way companies are run, right? What I want to see is what happens when people get to practice every day in their company, right? They get to practice owning their own authority and autonomy and power, using power without getting in the way of others using their power, using power together. Right? When people get to practice that, they, they get a mirror held up to the codependence, the projection, the stories, which is what holacracy does. What happens when those people go out into society, into the world, right? And I want to see a shift. Right now, people look to government to solve problems. The amount of dialogue out there that I see in the folks that want to change the world that is focusing on what can we do to get government changing things, I think is a completely misguided um, and I understand it. It's it's the system we have now. But what I really want to see is people saying, forget this. I don't want to look to some leader to solve things and change things for me any more than I want to look to a CEO to do that in, in my company. I want to just go create the world that I want to see. right? And I want to do that by owning my autonomy and my power and working with others to do it. And let's let us let something new emerge. Wow. That. You, know, so. you, you know what? You're, you're, uh, you're hearkening me back. And again, this is just a natural integral practice that I do in real time. But what you're talking about reminds me of the uh, organization of the hunter gatherer tribes. Yeah. Where there wasn't, there was actually, they were largely egalitarian. Uh, There was, uh, it would just be natural that you, you would just organize around the capacities of each other. Why would you not? Totally. You know, and and no (laughs) added bullshit. Yeah, it's funny. The, the, my favorite thing that I ever wrote um, when I was writing my book, the last chapter I wrote originally for that book was uh, my vision of societal governance and how do we move from these top-down centralized control systems to something that is decentralized, emergence, peer-to-peer, evolution baked in and all that. Wrote all about that. I loved it. Favorite thing. Gave it to my publisher. He cut that chapter and said, you cannot publish this. <laughs> said, okay. I said, I'll release it as a blog post or something like that then. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You can never let this writing see the light. <laughs> <laughs> he said, burn it. <laughs> wow. Have you published it? Um, not yet. I do intend to, though. I've, yeah. I've secretly sent it to a bunch of, of 
friends in a network. And so it's gotten around, but yeah. it's, um, the thing is, he said, you know, people on the left will think you're some kind of crazy right-wing guy. People on the right will think you're some crazy left-wing guy. Yeah. That's <laughs> a, what are the curse of integral thinking? Right, right. Because yeah. what it's doing is challenging the fundamental framework itself, right? right. In the same way, I don't, I don't, I think it's a misguided or a limited notion. In companies, I see people looking for, let's get better leaders in to fix things. Yep. And I see the same in society. Let's get the right person elected in the next election to fix things, right? And I think it's so much more powerful to question the fundamental framework itself and ask, what can we do to obsolete this framework? Yep. And, and that's, that's really what holacracy is about, and that's well, what I want to see in society. Well, again, if you, if you look at it evolutionarily, we could see the, 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 the relationship of, how do you say, humanity with power? Yeah, all of humanity's relationship to power. Power, okay. If you look at that, the, it's radically different at every yeah. stage of development. Why would it not be radically different in the future? Yeah, and, and that's what it is, that it's something like what you're talking about. Yeah. Wow. And that's what we're experimenting with and, and experiencing in the companies. I get this in my company every day, and others do now, and companies doing this. We are in this living laboratory of experiencing completely new ways of organizing power and relating to power, including our own, first and foremost. Right. And I, I see the developmentally catalytic nature of that environment that it creates. is It's astounding, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the impact I'm seeing there. Mm -hmm. and, and the challenge. It's not all easy, right? It's, it's shining lights on shadow uh, as well. It's, uh, it's a challenge. Yeah. And yet, so powerful. And, you know, that, that's, I, I feel like the community of companies today that's doing holacracy, we're learning. We're experimenting with this. Yeah, well, let's let, let me use this as, as a way of circling back to what you were talking about at the beginning, where just looking at the future of this movement as you are leading it, really. Um, so you have uh, people working together and what's going You were talking about that there's a community of holacracy practitioners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. There is. And I also wanted to, while we're at it, plug that you have a practitioner training coming up in May 2019 in Austin. And we do, my new home. <laughs> oh, you're living in Austin now. I, I moved to Austin, yes. I close on my new house here next week. I'm oh, <laughs> rather excited. Congratulations. That's yeah. nice. It's always nice to to replant oneself. That's for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, we also do trainings in Amsterdam, if you have listeners uh, from there. So we have Amsterdam coming up. Uh, we, we're there four times a year. And, uh, and then in the US, we move around, but next one's in Austin. Cool. And and people can find out more at holacracy1one.com. Uh, uh, they can, uh, though it'll just redirect you to holacracy.org. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, for, for the listeners, it's people often misspell it. It's spelled H-O-L-A. Uh, the root is holarchy, not holon. So H O L A, holacy. D R A C Y. Got it. All right. So yeah. So t tell me just the, you know the the movement itself. Give us a little bit of the shape of that. Um, I, I yeah I I, I love it. <laughs> um, the people attracted to this. Um, I feel so. Fucking grateful <laughs> I get to work with people like this. Um, we just did our annual conference. We do a conference every year, and it's we had about 150 people there from all over the world, um, all like making a living. Most of them doing holacracy either in their company, they're their internal coaches. Some of them were consultants and coaches, and um, 
and we're connecting, we're learning together. It, it feels like we're a group of pioneers that have just landed on this new shore. And mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to figure out what does this next paradigm, this next tier of organization actually look like? Mm-hmm. And how do we develop some, for example, you mentioned uh, pay, right? Even though Holacracy doesn't give you an answer, we can still come up with standardized answers that others can copy. And same yeah. with you know, firing, hiring, budgeting. And so we're, we're learning in all these different processes, okay. uh, as well as learning how do we help make this transition? How do we get the failure rate you know, from from 60% for companies that don't have a coach down to 30% or from yep. 30% from companies with a coach to 10%, you know? So uh, there's so much learning and the, the capacity and not just the headspace capacity. What I love is how much heart there is in that space. I, I go into that room and I just, I feel love with all of these people in this really deep way. And, and then I go into my company and I can genuinely say, I love the people I work with. You know, and it feels Fabulous. so. No, I remember even those circle meetings. There was a when we were in those meetings, there was a palpable sense of love and trust and appreciation. And how fabulous is it to be just right here, right now? Yeah, it is, and it's like we can all be fully human together. Yeah, trust that we can work out the stuff to serve this purpose that we're signed up to serve here together of this organization. It's it's like being co-parents for this organization that's the child that we're helping it express its purpose in life. Um, but then the way we're relating together, doing that, is to me is part of part of the joy. It gives a framework that we can get all this stuff out of the way of our human relationships that is typically in the way in most companies today, right? It's hard to have completely, yeah. fully self-expressed, uh, uh, fully human ways of, of relating when you're in a power structure that can almost use that against you, that where the politics are needed, you know? And when that's all out of the way, it like liberates this this other aspect of humanity. So we've got yeah, this- Hallelujah, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's happening, and there's some yeah. amazing people in it. I mean, you're, you're. I gotta say, you're a real visionary, and mm. you were. Uh, and I knew that back then. Well, yeah, I remember you had this insight from the very beginning. That we had a wonderful connection special. with this. Yeah, and mm-hmm. what's even better is you're a visionary who can actually get traction and make something happen in the world. And so, I just want to thank you and and appreciate you. Brian Robertson. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. I, I honestly think a lot of where we are today in Holacracy was because of the very, very few rare early pioneers like you that saw something in this and said, we're going to experiment with this. <laughs> and it gave the experiment grounds, it gave the stories, it gave the awareness. Uh, yeah. That was the beginning little snowball that led to an avalanche. Oh, well, I'm happy to have that part in it, you know. <laughs> I always uh, think of myself happily as roadkill on the highway to <laughs> the future of humanity. Roadkill that started an avalanche. <laughs> exactly. Good with that. All right, Brian, anything else we ought to know? No, this has been I think we so have uh, covered it all and we are complete, yeah. perfect, and whole. Yeah, thank you. It's, I, <laughs> yeah, love chatting about this. And Indeed. thanks to everyone listening as all well. All right. Uh, Brian Robertson, Holacracy, Holacracy One, Holacracy Trading. Check it out. And um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Thanks.